coming up on today's episode of the Salesman Podcast. To simplify all of sales, something that will drag through or pull through the whole process is that you first really have to define who you are in the market, what product or service you're going to offer. So let's say, let's take me for example, I say sales, right? I don't sit there. If somebody says, Victor, do you talk about marketing? I go, no. Do I, you know, if they talk about customer service, no, that's not what I do. And that's a, what market do I serve? It's a B2B market. That's my primary market. Then I'm saying to myself, how do I brand myself? Well, what's branding? But the repetition of the same message, right? You have the salesman podcast, the salesman podcast. It's red. Salesman podcast. It's red. Salesman. You know what I mean? There is this consistency. Hello, Sales Nation. I'm Will Barron, host of the Salesman Podcast, the world's most listened to B2B sales show. If you haven't already, make sure to click subscribe. And with that, let's meet today's guest. Uh, this is Victor Antonio, so a uh, speaker, sales trainer. My background is I uh, came out of the tech corporate side, uh, eventually went through corporate America, became VP, President Sales and Marketing. One day decided to become a sales trainer slash consultant, written 13 books, have over uh, 500 videos on sales and training and motivation. And that is who I am. And you can find more information on me at victorantonio.com. On this episode of the show with the legend that is Victor Antonio, I'm asking him, are we making B2B sales more complex than what it needs to be? The answer is yes, of course it is. And so let's jump right in. Well, I'm going to ask you an open-ended question to get going because you know, we've had this conversation, we've, we've conversed a number of times now. I trust that your opinions on this. I trust that it's not going to go down some weird rabbit hole. So I'll throw an open-ended question in here of, are we making B2B sales more complex than what it needs to be? I think for the last 15, 20 years, we've made B2B complex sales more complex than they need to be. And by that, I mean is that when you look at all these books out there, right, you've seen these, Will, you know, 20 steps to closing the deal, right? You know, all these all these lengthy processes that people use, you know, to try to close a deal. And so we're making it more complex. I also think that you know, the new technology, like, you know, CRMs, obviously more demanding on the salesperson, uh, requiring more information. But if I were to zoom back and say, why is it becoming more complex? I also think it's because the number of people signing off. I forgot the study that said 6.8 buyers have to sign off on a, an actual deal. So that's one problem. More decision makers obviously involved because of that. Uh, because of competition, hyper competition, call it globalization, call it Internet. There's more competition. So there's less pie. And so I think we're trying to find new ways to try to get in. But I think we always forget the basics, right? Get to know the customers, get close, get up front, get to know them personally, empathize, feel their pain, and really just educate them on what they need to buy. That's my process. Is it as simple as that? And what I mean by that, Victor, is can we distill sales on a high level down to two, three, or four steps rather than the seemingly 500 steps that we were all told that we need to go through? Well, I argue that all the time in my workshop. I break it down to, you know, empathize, educate, and then empower. The empathize piece is really understand their business, really get in their headspace of what they're thinking about every day. Because as you know, that if you don't understand their business, you don't understand what's holding them back. Too often we talk to that top 10% of the iceberg, that's you know the part you can see, but below the surface are all those subtle things, those nuances of what holds them back from making a decision. The second piece is to educate them. You know, the only way to position yourself as a trusted advisor is to actually have some information that they want that they don't know about. You know, just insight. We've always talked about that. And to give you a small example of that, real quick, went over to buy some wine the other day. Could go anywhere to buy wine, Will. But I walk in and they always have this wine expert waiting for you at the aisle. So if you're in the Chablis aisle, the Chardonnay aisle, there's the expert. You can ask this person almost anything. 
And by, by the time I'm done, I'm walking out of there with 12 bottles of wine. I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm just saying <laughs> you get excited and you're like, well, let me just stock up because, you know, that was it. it was the educational piece. Now, what's interesting is I bet you I could have gone down the road to a corner store and probably got the same wine for just a little less money. But it was the education piece I wanted. I think that's what people want today. And then the third phase is empower. I think people just need to be led to where they need to go. And we don't really have to push them. I believe in nudging. You've heard me say this. I don't pressure. I don't push. I nudge. And that is I can guide somebody if I if I understand what they want. I educate them promptly. I can nudge them towards the solution that I have to offer. So those are my simple three steps. I've simplified it. Well, we'll dive into each of these separately and acutely in a second. But just to paint a, a picture about the whole scenario here of what we're facing, why is it that then that we are told that we need to do this, that we need to do that, we need to have personal brand, we need to build this, our LinkedIn page is so important right now, we shouldn't cold call, we should cold call because people aren't cold calling. What? Why is there so many messages being flung at salespeople when we can hopefully distill it down just to three simple exercises? I, I think a lot of this stuff is... You know, I look at those three elements as the irreducible primary. If I were to reduce all this stuff up here, I'd reduce it down to those three. Now, let's go back to the noise up high where everybody's saying you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And what's happening is we're overwhelmed, right? You got to do podcasts. You got to do videos. You got to do a blog. You got to write articles on LinkedIn. Hey, by the way, we have to understand the customer journey because that's important, too. By the way, personal branding is good. Pay attention to all the details. And all of a sudden, you're locking yourself up. If you're a big corporation, maybe you can afford the luxury to do all these things if you have enough bodies to throw at it. But if you're a small, medium-sized business or an entrepreneur, you can't afford to do a lot of this stuff. So you have to streamline what you can and cannot do. Just like you and I, Will, we've picked our channels where we believe we can win, right? Kind of the Sun Tzu art of war type of thing, right? Don't fight your enemy where you can't win. Fight them where you can win. And we look at cost, right? You and I have to look at cost. And also we look at low barrier to entry, high barrier to entry, right? So take those two things. Low cost is what can we afford to do with the money we have today? That's the capital, right? And then Low barrier to entry. If anybody else can do it, maybe I don't want to do that. So let's find something like video production, like this wonderful podcast of yours that, you know, it's a high barrier to entry, right? You got to be willing to invest. And so when I look at all these different competing philosophies, I always have to ask myself, what works for me? You know what I mean? And I think I think that's what people have to do. You can't do it all. Does cold calling work? Yeah, in certain things it does. Does email cold calling work? Yeah, again, it, it does work. Newsletter, yes, of course. But in what context? And how much can you afford to do? So can we still this, distill this down in further then into perhaps we should do a bit of experimentation so that we're at the top of uh, the game with regards to innovations and things like that. But then if something's working for us, we, sh we shouldn't be distracted by everything else that's going on. We should focus on that one, two things. Is that is that a way that we should be looking at sales in, you know, in the B2B context? So, so when we look at B2B, let's look at B2B. Let's say that's my market. B2B, the first question I'm asking myself is, who am I targeting? This is the basic stuff, right? And then I ask myself, where are they playing? Where do they hang out? And we know it's LinkedIn. We know it's YouTube, maybe some podcasts, right? I don't think you're going to find some high-level decision makers at the C-suite on Facebook. Okay, that might be a little tough one. You're not going to find them on Pinterest. I, I use that for exaggeration, <laughs> yeah. right? And so all of a sudden, I know what my three channels are. And so if I narrow it down to my three channels, now I say, okay, what content will I use? You know this, and I, this is basic stuff, right? What content do we use to draw them in? And I think where the laziness comes in is we don't develop high-quality content enough. And we put out a lot of what I call cheap content, and we don't get the people we want. We're not attracting the right 
folks. So the first thing I would say to anybody listening to this podcast is, you know, look at the quality of your content. Is it worthy of somebody clicking through? That's one. And two, you're right. There's a lot of shiny objects out there. We've talked about this off camera, right? Well, there's like, you know, this software package here. We talked about ClickFunnels. We talked about MailChimp. Uh, there's another one called Big Marker. There's another one. I mean, they keep coming out every month. But at some point, you have to kind of discipline yourself. Say, look, look at my return on investment. Am I, you know, making the gains? Am I getting enough visitors? Like, how do you measure your success? Will is it number of subscribers to your podcast? Number of subscribers to your email? How do you measure? I measure by the number of leads that actually come into my email inbox or the number of phone calls I get. And if that number looks good, which it does, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I'm saying, let's do more of that. So what is step one then? And you might have just answered it there, Victor, of is step one having something that you measure, having, I don't know if you've read the book, The One Thing, but having one goal that if you hit that goal, everything else becomes obsolete or uh, kind of doesn't matter anymore. Is that what we should be aiming for? And for, I guess for a B2B sales professional, if you know that you're somewhat capable, somewhat capable of going down the sales funnel and closing a deal at the end of it, perhaps our one thing then is number of leads in the top of the funnel. Is that the starting point to simplifying sales? I think to me, to, to simplify all of sales, something that will drag through or pull through the whole process is that you first really have to define who you are in the market what product or service you're gonna offer. So let's say, let's take me for example, I say sales, right? I don't sit there, if somebody says, Victor, do you talk about marketing? I go, no. Do I, you know, if they talk about customer service, no, that's not what I do. And once you focus on that, I said, now this is what I do, what market do I wanna serve? I'm going through the basics here, but just as a reminder for some of us, right? And that's said, what market do I serve? It's a B2B market, that's my primary market. Then I'm saying to myself, how do I brand myself? Well, what's branding? but the repetition of the same message, right? You have the salesman podcast, the salesman podcast, it's red. Salesman podcast, it's red. Salesman, you know what I mean? There is this consistency. There is clear message, what market you want. The consistent messaging is always there. Your branded colors are obvious, and we just keep now seeing you. Because you're creating so much content now behind that, by the way, creating content becomes easier when you know who you are and what market you serve. It kind of filters out the noise, almost like a bandpass filter. Everything else is filtered out and you just focus on that. And I think it is the discipline, and I think you exemplify that, it is the discipline to stick to a market and figure out how it works. What, to, what happens a lot of times, well, you may know this, is that you know some people start down the road and when they don't get the results right away what they want, they switch. They try to cater to some other market without figuring out, let me just figure out how this market works. So I've always told myself, when I first started the speaking business, I asked myself, can I make a living off of this thing? And all I had to do was look for social proof, other people doing it, and that's all I needed. So now I just had, that was the Z point. I was at A, how do I get there? How does this look for the individual B2B salesperson, the person in the field, the, the person like me in medical device sales, how does this look um, from their, the, how they define themselves in the marketplace? The, the 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 brand that they're building and the message that they're gonna uh, you say over and over and over and the qualities and everything that else that goes alongside this is this something that I am X Y Z who sells X Y Z for X Y Z company or is this I care about solving these problems for these customers in this industry regardless of the organization that I work for which is more effective? I think the latter. I think if you begin to view yourself as a profit center like a P and L. Like every salesperson is a walking profit center PL. 
And if I viewed that as my business, forget the company I'm working for, right? I mean, I care, but you know what I mean. Forget them for a second. Now I treat this as my business, right? Top line cost a whole bit. And I want to know how profitable I can be. So I got the branding because I got the corporate branding. So that helps me get in the door some places if the company's big enough. So, you know, salespeople have an advantage that work for a company because they don't have to worry so much about the marketing or the branding. That's already taken care of. Accounting, shipment, inventory, that's all taken care of. This is beautiful. So that means I, as a salesperson, a B2B salesperson, I just got to figure out what's my target market. We've talked about that. But here's why I think they differentiate themselves. I get back to the second phase of my process. It is the education piece. If salespeople can today really marinate, really marinate in the content, but beyond their product, you know, features, benefits, advantage, and gain, understand what's happening in the market and what their customers want. You know, that little Venn diagram, understand the product, understand what the customer wants, and understand what's happening in the market. That intersection is what is going to develop your brand. Because what happens is that people start knowing you. I've been to enough trade shows where after a while, you just know who the top engineers in the market are in the wireless space, in the fiber optic space, because they're constantly putting out content. A lot of these salespeople don't put out content. For example, look at that wonderful magazine you have there, right? Why not contribute content to that magazine? Why not write a small article? There's, you know, I used to belong to the IEEE, you know, electrical engineers. And guess what? Every six months I would contribute, a, you know, an article. And that just positioned me as an expert. I would use that article and I would send that to my customers. That was part of my personal branding. Like this guy really knows his stuff. And that's what I think B2B salespeople should be focused on, those that work for a company. You've just, and we haven't discussed this before the show, but you've just outlined exactly what I've been hammering home on the podcast for the last two or three months or so, because I've been on a massive personal branding sprint. So narrow that down again for us, Victor, as I don't want to gloss over this. What what I seem, and, and tell, let me, let me, let me reiterate it and tell me if I'm wrong or if I've got the wrong end of the stick here, but it seems find a industry publication, find a way to get your content in front of the people that you want to be in front of is clearly step one, build a relationship with those individuals. If you are a sales trainer, sales coach, clearly you want to be in Salesman Magazine, which I think right now is, good. well, I, I know damn well it's going to have the, the most impact out of all the content out there for B2B salespeople because all the other sales-ish kind of content and, and quote-unquote magazines, even though they're all just digital magazines now rather than physical copies, they're all going out to sales leadership rather than salespeople. So this is going to have huge impact. So that's uh, clearly step one is if you're a sales trainer, coach, you want to be in this magazine, you want to reach uh, the end users of your of your products, perhaps. What is step two? And what I mean by that is, or how do we implement step two, which is having your finger on the pulse of the marketplace? What does that look like practically? So then we can write that up and add our own spin to it, perhaps, and then get that in the publication that we're we're kind of building relationships with. I had, well, I'll step back to my engineering days when I started writing articles, right? So I moved into sales. And so now I said, well, how do I begin to get known in the market? And so I was the guy, and it's even easier today, who would buy all the different magazines, right? For the different industry magazines, go through them. And after a while, you begin to sense what the trends are. So then you look at the trends, you look at your product, it says, where does this fit? Where do we fit within these trends? What can I highlight that points back to me? So then, for example, I was designing a, uh, a network management system that just monitored a fiber optic system. And I said, here's where it's going in the future. Even though we didn't have everything yet, we knew where it was going and why it was important to have your data in place today. So that article I wrote, which was, I don't know, like 900 words, which is not a lot of words, garnered so much like credibility. And so I'm asking people who are listening to this, is that find websites 
And by the way, one article, you can now distribute it to so many different websites. It isn't even funny. And then you can put it on LinkedIn. I mean, there's the, the, I mean, I'm frustrated today with salespeople who say, well, I don't know how to really position myself in the market. I say, are you kidding me? Let me count the ways for you. And so if you're listening to this, you need to pick two or three ways. It may be a podcast. It may be article. Whatever your strength is, that's when I would begin the branding. Well, that's where I would begin the branding. And and again, just because we're getting super basic with this, what does what's the effect that's going on side, inside the prospect's brain when they see articles from you, even if it's kind of like subconscious, they don't know, like, and trust you personally just yet, but they've seen that you've been in this magazine, you've perhaps emailed them six months before with an article that was in whatever industry publication or a video that interviewed one of the peers or colleagues. What's going on in their brain when you then start to initiate a sales conversation with them of, hey, I hear you have this problem and I can potentially help you and, and give you some education and some advice on the problem itself. What's happening in their brain when they've already noticed you in other places? Well, I, I go back to the Google study. You ever see that zero moment of truth study by Google? So, so it's called zero moment of truth. Moment of truth in the past was you saw the commercial. That was your first moment of truth on the telly, right? Then you went to the grocery store. Oh, there's the cereal I saw on. The, that was the second moment of truth. Then you went home. You tried the cereal. Boom, you were golden, right? You're like, oh, I think I like this. And that began the, the, the habitual cycle. The zero moment of truth is something Google said. Now they're finding you online, right? So that's zero moment of truth. So they find an article online, and I think that's what you have to keep in mind, that there are all these moments of truth where people keep finding your stuff. Maybe they come across an article, piece of content, but the beauty of it is, is that one, you get recognized, but two, when they finally do reach out to you, the prospect reaches out, to some extent, they've pre-qualified themselves. They've studied your content, they know so much about you already, plus they know what you have to offer, and now when they're talking to you, it's more at a minimal peer to peer, if not, you're, you know, they're looking for advice from you because they go, this guy knows, I keep seeing his articles. I mean, we've all done this. We've run across people. You're like, I keep seeing this person. I mean, look at a Seth Golden, right? You can't, you can't go on the internet without running into one of his articles or something, right? Whether it's Tony Robbins or some of these other business writers. And I think, you know, if you're asking me, what does prospect think? The prospect thinks, Hey, this person knows maybe I should take their call. Maybe I should return their email. And I like to have a lot of content online, as you know, just like you, because when people research, I can leave somebody a voicemail. They go, who is this guy? And I'll just say, just type in Victor Antonio on YouTube. You'll find me. And then all this content comes up, says, all right, let me talk to this guy. I think that line, I don't know if you flippantly uh, said that or whether that's active strategy that you use in a voicemail of um, Victor Antonio, just Google me. If you've got it takes maybe six months worth of content before your name crops up before everyone else's, unless unless you're also called Tony Robbins, in which case you're absolutely screwed and you need to change your name. Um, but barring that, that's an amazing voicemail strategy. I've never heard that before. Of yeah, just you know, Google me. Yeah. By the way, it's, it's the best. It's the best close on the on the phone because people will say, "Well, you know, uh, who are you?" I said, "Look, why don't you do me a favor? Just Google me." I said, and then go to my <laughs> website, which you'll find easily. Yeah. And then I said, "You like what you hear? Let's talk." It's the most amazing, like, push away, like, take away, like, just go Google me. If you like what you hear on the website, you got some videos there, call me. And I'm telling you, it's it's a hell of a close rate I got on the phone because they've pre-qualified themselves because they've seen enough content where I, I just have to nudge them over the line. So this takes the conversation totally out of context here of how do we make B2B sales uh, simpler? I thought we were going to get into the weeds of, well, we should do this, shouldn't do this, and this is silly, this is a waste of time, and don't listen to this and do this to this. But... What we're talking about here is a whole new way of selling, right? Which maybe existed 30 years ago, but with the internet is now, uh, there's no gatekeepers 
to putting this in place. If you have a, a name somewhat memorable, whatever it is, like, I don't know if you know this, Victor, the, the audience will do. My name's actually Raymond William Barron. I chose Will Barron because it was, well, numerous reasons. One, I didn't want my boss to Google what I was up to. So if he would have Googled Ray Barron, he would have saw that I was starting the, the side hustle on the side and probably would have got sacked uh -huh. for it. Uh, but Will Barron is a far more memorable. And there's, there was, there's, there's one guy, so I live up in Leeds. There's one guy who lives in Sheffield who had already registered willbarron.com. And um, so I registered williambarron.com and I smashed it with my SEO, search engine optimization. So he's kind of like down the search results. Long story short, if you can position your name, choose your middle name, choose your full name, use a nickname, whatever it is, to have your name.com, your name.org, whatever it is. And then six months worth of content, you can build your brand up immediately. It's or You tell me this, because you, you might have more data on this as opposed to me using anecdotes, but how many... If you're if you're in a marketplace, I'm selling medical devices. You know, you're selling uh, kind of fiber optic engineering products or, or you know server products, as it seemingly as you were selling Victor. Out of a hundred people that you're competing with, how many people would you suggest have a personal brand online like this? The you know I think millennials get it. Let me just step, take a step back. Millennials kind of get this already, but if you're old school like me, my age, right? You know, you've been around since the 80s. You know, this is a whole new game. And I think that's where a lot of salespeople are dropping off, you know, who have been around a little too long. They don't want to adapt to these new tools. But but I, I want to bring it back to something that really goes back to the topic. We said, how do we simplify, you know, the complex sale? That's what we said. And I said, and I'll repeat it again because this ties into the branding, is that you have to empathize with your customers what's going on in the market educate them on something they don't know, and then, again, lead them, empower them to make a decision by your product. Now, take that sales process, whether it's you and I talking, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to a committee, doesn't matter. If I understand you, educate you, and lead you to my solution, I should be golden. Why can't I just take that same mindset, those three steps, and build it into an article, build it into a video, build it into a podcast, and that's all I talk about. I talk about your problems. I almost become like a therapist. When I'm when I'm thinking about content, I'm I'm in therapy mode. You got a problem? I understand. Lay here. Let me help you find the solution. <laughs> right, kind of thing like that. And so I think it works in the personal branding space. I think it works in the I'm a B2B salesperson within a market. Again, how do you stand out when everybody looks the same? Imagine for a moment a CEO or not even CEO. Let's go to a CIO or CTO has to see five people, ten people a day who want to sell them something. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's the real visual right there. Everybody's trying to get a, a meeting with this one person. We all know that if we get the meeting, Will, we're more likely to close a deal. Today, most people tell me, Victor, it's not getting the sale. It's getting the meeting. If I get the meeting, I get the sale. Well, how do you get the meeting? Well, then I get, you're not going to get the meeting unless you stand out from the rest, from the noise. Signal to noise ratio, how do you stand out? And I'm saying that if you're a B2B salesperson working within a company, you have to learn how to personally brand yourself, whether that's registering your own name or just coming up with your little, little podcast or newsletter. It doesn't matter. Find a way to brand it. Love it. And I've used this example on the show before, and I'll, I'll use it again because I think it's a really good example. And anyone who wants to start a podcast, email me, will at salesman.org, and I'll, I'll help you kind of through the process because it's super simple. But when I worked in medical device sales, I would be selling to surgeons, uh, CFOs, and theater managers, basically. The nursing staff as well, but they would not have real purchasing pull or power, but they would be able to perhaps veto a deal if uh, they didn't want to use the product day to day. But 
with that said, surgeons were the the people who were really, they were the advocates within the account. They were the people who really drive things forward. And depending on the individual, they would just bulldoze anyone else who would get in the way all the way up to the, the C-suite. They would not care about it. If they wanted your product, they'd make it happen. So there's no reason in Yorkshire, if I had a podcast that... 15 people listened to and they were my surgeons on on the on my geographic uh, region that I was selling to if just 15 people listened to it and all I had to do was perhaps interview each of those 15 people you know one, one person a month and they get their secrets that they could then share with their peers they're probably going to come on a show like that because it's going to make them look great in front of their own little audience and they're all super competitive with each other I only need 15 people to listen and that's my sales target smashed if I maybe it's maybe it's once a week, maybe it's every week, whatever the it doesn't have to be every single day for sure. And, and you probably annoy people if you were spamming at them every single day with new content. But if every month or every couple of weeks you could email ten people that your potential decision makers, that are advocates for you in the account, say, hey, I just interviewed yada yada. We talked about this, this, and this. I think you might find it interesting because this industry trend, uh, this new medical device, which is nothing to do with me, but you guys are all using it as well. If you know, if you're dealing with urologists, they're doing all kinds of of stenting and lasers and all kinds of things to get rid of kidney stones that my equipment will perhaps uh, help. And I would have a, an endoscope which would get the laser up there. But we can pull all this together, and it's it's just so simple, right? And that would going back to the question I asked you before, Victor. If I if the hundred people in a marketplace. And, I, and I'm competing with them. I would honestly say one, two of them max are doing anything like this. So is it fair to say that this is this could be the thing that differentiates you versus the whole of the marketplace, you know, regardless of product? Could this be your selling advantage? I think it is. I mean, I, I live it every day. I, you know, people ask me how much money I spend on marketing. I always say not much because to me, the content is the gravitational pull. You know what I mean? The articles, whatever it may be, that's the gravitational pull. But not, I think a lot of people aren't willing to do the work or put in the work. Or the other half, they're willing to put in the work, but they're afraid. Right? They always hesitate about writing that article, doing that podcast, doing that video. I can't tell you how many people say, well, Victor, how do you do it? And just like you, Will, I said, look, it's just a matter of starting. Your first couple of podcasts are going to be horrible. Your articles may not be the best. Who cares? But after a while, you start getting a certain rhythm. But the thing is, do they have the discipline to do it? But you know what they're going to say to you, right? Victor, I got so much to do. You know, I got all these, you know, I got all these contacts, all these clients to visit, you know. And again, they're always trying to look for a way in. And I say the novel way in is really positioning yourself as an expert and really understanding what's going on in the market. That would be me. I would be teaching that every day to my salespeople like, all right. What insights are you providing? What information are you giving them? You know, what? let's look at some case studies or use studies. Let's figure out what they want to go, you know, what they're going to go, uh-huh, to. What is that? But we don't do that. We just simply keep doing the same old thing. We call up, hi, this is Victor Antonio. I'm with da 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 company. You know, what if I can show you 50 ways to da 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 or, you know, give you a return on investment of 35%? Would that be of interest to you? Let me ask you a question. You, the decision maker, you know, all that stuff is what we're taught. And I think people don't want to be sold anymore. People want to find you. This is this is the interesting part, Will. People want to find you. So it's that's the pull marketing. You know, and, and they find you, man. They find you. But you gotta be findable. How's that for a word? You gotta be findable, man. And so a lot of guys, a lot of people just don't do the work. They don't want to do the work. And it's funny, they don't realize though, Will. Here's a shocking thing. I haven't had to make a phone call, a cold call. I don't know how many years now. Why? because I've developed enough content where people call me. I don't know about you, but that's a sweet position to be in. And and it's 
so I want to I want to just touch on because I want to get into technology and whether that makes us sure. uh, whether this makes sales more simple or complex in a second. We'll wrap up with that, Victor. But a final thing on this in that it's an investment, right? It, it's it's not something that is going to pay dividends right away. But if you create content for five years, you're never going to have to make those awkward prospecting cold calls where people, you know, whether people admit it or not, most people get hammered down by rejection if they have a, a whole two, three day period where no one gives a shit. People are putting down the phone. People don't want to speak to them and it gets to you. I don't care what anyone says. I've got Grant Cardone on the front of this book here. He puts a smile on his face and I've spoke to him uh, kind of behind the scenes. And there was actually a question that I asked him in the interview in the, the magazine of, do, do, you, do you love sales or is it the best way to get from where you were at the time when you first kind of got into it to where you wanted to be? And you can guess his answer of, you know, it, it's, it's something that is perhaps enjoyable to get the end results of. The process can be painful. The process isn't always kind of roses and flowers. Now, hopefully it doesn't come across like that on, on this podcast when I'm interviewing people. But investing now into your future, specifically if you're going to be in that same product vertical, that mod market vertical over the next decade, it's a no-brainer, right? It's If I'm going to sell medical devices, I'm going to sell endoscopes to surgeons. If I become the expert in that space, five years from now, you're probably not a salesperson. You're probably some kind of consultant. You're probably some kind of elevated individual within that organization because you've, you've worked on it and you've built brand and you've built awareness and people are coming to you. And People coming to you is probably more valuable than your selling skills at that point to a to to a uh, kind of a multi billion dollar organization. Am I, am I on the right tracks here with this, Victor? I, I think you're right. I think the there, there was a study. I was doing something for the National Association of Realtors or something like that, and it, there was a number that was really fascinating. That most people it's like 60, 70 percent of the people will go off of a referral. I referred this person, right? And they'll and 94 percent will buy from that referral. So in other words, the majority of people are getting referred at about 70%. And if you're referred, that's about a 94% close rate. So, okay, the question is, how do you get referred? Well, you got to be good at what you do, but you got to also be known. And so think about it. If we're getting referred all the time, there's not a lot of cold calling going on here. There's not a lot of email, not a lot of guessing as far as what's going on. But again, it takes work on the front end, as you mentioned. On the front end, you got to put in the work. There's got to be that discipline. And I think... That's the high barrier to entry. If we can go back to that phrase, most people simply don't want to do it. And I think, again, it's fear, uh, the fear of the unknown, whatever it may be. But I, but I think it's like Grant's a great example. Also, somebody just like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? These guys are pumping content all the time. Why? Because they understand that it's a new marketplace. It's about who is known in the marketplace for that specific problem I have. And I think that's what the new B2B salespeople need to get through their head. They're no longer just part of a company. Let the company worry about the marketing. They themselves have to brand themselves, market themselves, position themselves. I'm repeating myself, but I want them to get it. They have to be their own brand in the market. And, and just a final thing on this, then we're going to touch on technology and we'll wrap things up in that. So the sales school over at salesschool.org, I'm literally on uh, day two of a 100 day video a day challenge, which means me writing a script, recording a video, editing it every single day on top of everything else that we're doing. And there's no excuses. I think the, and for context for people, so I think the Salesman Podcast YouTube channel has kind of like nearly 20,000 subscribers on there. It's doing well, um, kind of, you know, 100,000 views a month on there, 700,000 audio downloads. And it's took me kind of like four years to get to this point. But the Sales School YouTube channel, and I'm kind of diverse, I want to diversify over kind of multiple channels in case anything happens to one of them. Um, so there's, there's kind of, deeper strategy behind it. But right now, the Sales School channel has, I think, 83 subscribers. 
nothing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. And so <laughs> Yeah, it starts out very depressing. It starts yeah. out very depressing. And, yeah. that, and that's fine, right? That that's that's for a B2B salesperson. You might only need a hundred subscribers viewing your videos to crush it in your marketplace, especially if you've got a, a geographic territory that you are kind of promoting and, and working on, even more so. But with that, just for context for the audience of, you know, well, your YouTube channel is like 145,000 subscribers, a mental number. Um, but clearly we both didn't start off with uh, with those kind of numbers. So with that- say, well, I just want so, to add this because you, you hit a point, it's really subtle, is that by, and, and I guess I want to motivate people to create content because whether you create the article, podcast, I mean, think about it. It's an excuse to reach out to a potential customer. Hey, just did a podcast on, on the, you know, the market growth segment in this industry in your vertical that I think you might find interesting. The insights in that podcast or article or, in, you know, whatever they may, whatever the pitch is. But now there's a reason. There's an outreach. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to just calling, hey, I want to get together. It's like if I get another LinkedIn message about somebody who wants to have virtual coffee with me to get to understand my business, to see if there's value in our relationship, I'm going to shoot my toe off. You know what I mean? Because everybody says that. But when I get something from somebody, say, hey, Victor, I know you're in this space, in the selling space. I found this study. I thought you might be interested. I'm like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Give yeah. them reason. If you're a salesperson listening to this, give people reason to want to listen to you and open up your content. I'll end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, something that you're specializing in here, and clearly there's a there's kind of a, a decade of it's come. How does technology and I kind of I'm nudging us towards AI specifically how does technology either make things more complicated than what it needs to be or how can it help us or potentially help us in in b2b sales you know when you look at the number of tools out there it's like anything else you know there's so many tools out there to you know to help you become more productive as a salesperson right it's overwhelming there's so many apps, so many programs, you know, that it, you get to the point where your head wants to explode. Again, when you're overwhelmed like that, you know what happens to the brain. It just shuts down, paralysis by analysis, you make no move. I think the biggest shift, obviously, for me is always going to be the CRM. The CRM used to be viewed as like this KGB tool where people would, the manager would spy on you. But I don't think a lot of salespeople, especially in the B2B space, have realized that the CRM is now shifting towards a, a true resource database to help extract insights to find all these what I call blue puddles of new opportunities. Totally different perspective. You know, and I think that's the shift that has to happen. If I had to bet everything on one technology, it would be the CRM right now, right? Because you got the different apps associated with it. But I also believe that there's so much technology out there, so many different tools that people get overwhelmed and they miss out on the obvious. Let's get back to the basic. Empathize, educate, empower, right? Empathize, educate, empower. Empathize with the customer. Understand their business. Again, educate them, so forth and so on. And I think tools like CRM is one of those things where we have to choose our battles, what we have to put, you know, what arrows do we want in our quiver? I don't know about you, but I have about maybe four or five pieces of technology I use, and I limit myself to that. And I think the first step is figuring out what do I need right now to make me more effective in the market. And so that's where the limiting factor comes in. Too much technology is killing us right now because it is becoming too complicated. And the more management just throws down all these tools on salespeople, use this, use this, use this, I think they're bog bogging the salesperson down. I think InsideSales.com came out with a study that said that in terms of actual sales activity, salespeople are only spending 37% of their time actually selling. I mean, think about it. So that's two-thirds of their time is wasted on something else. And I think that's where technology has to replace, you know, or at least enable them to do something more effectively. If you could 
if you were a if you were in the trenches, you're a B two B salesperson selling whatever. Perhaps go back to kind of your history in that space. What would be the two tools if you could only have two of them? What would be the two tools that you'd be kind of focused on and that you would want to use and then proactively use every day? I, for, from a from a resource, I mean, from a management standpoint, obviously a CRM, right? Whether whether it's you know IBM three hundred and sixty. Forget Watts. management. So, we don't care about it, management. Yeah. You as an individual, what two tools are going to help you close more deals so that you can take your kids to Disneyland, buy a Porsche, and then live happily ever after? Uh, one is uh, obviously anything to manage my time. So one of the things I use now is. Well, let me talk about marketing. I use something called eClinchers. I don't know what you know what that is, but it allows me to schedule out some marketing promotions that go out into the market, into the social media space, and I can program it for three months, hit the button, and it runs for three months, just because I've already have the content already developed. So that keeps me front and center, and I know every three months I can recycle the information. That's one tool I use. Uh, the other tool I use that I think is just as powerful is just a simple calendar, man. When you can manage your calendar, you can manage, I mean, I, is it is it too simple? Am I making this no, too easy? that's perfect. Because I, because I'm like, I got a calendar, I got a marketing tool, I got a calendar, right? Database manages my customers. So I got, that's those are my three tools right there. If you let me add the CRM in. It's that simple. I mean, I don't know where we get confused here in terms it. of how to sell effectively. <laughs> I don't yeah. know where you get, yeah. the same, Victor. I would, um, I, so I use a, what, what app do I use on my phone here to... Uh, so I use Todoist, one word, to manage my uh, to-dos. When I put a to-do in there, or, or the other way around, if I put a to-do in my Google Calendar, it pops up into Todoist. And it allows, it tells you the date, tells you kind of whether you want to get it done that week, whether you want to get that done that month. If it's a month, it all gets pushed over to another list. And so I don't focus on it until the end of the month. And 99% of these to-dos, they're nonsense. <laughs> they, they didn't need doing it in the first place. But it's always good to get it out. One of my problems in sales was forgetting things, not necessarily being late, but being rushed into delivering things or being rushed into training or or whatever it was because I wasn't prepared for it because I was un, not even, um, I, I was unscheduled. I didn't have the, I didn't have the mindset that if it's in my diary, it, it goes in there, nothing can change it. I also now in my diary plan uh, half an hour for lunchtime, when I go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the kind of travel times and stuff that goes along with it, because I go to daytime classes so I can kind of keep hustling in the evenings. I also program in my sleep time. That then tells me I've only got five or six hours each day on top of kind of uh, publishing podcasts all day today. This is the Monday. I've got five episodes of the show I'm recording. When I put all this in the diary, it shows me I've only got four, five, six hours a day on a seemingly 12-hour day. I'll be up at six and I'll start working and I'll stop working at six or seven in the evening. You don't got that much time, right? And just that one prompt of it being on a screen, that's far more effective for me than any kind of CRM, AI, uh, an assistant Cortana on Windows going blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, don't, I don't need any I'm, of that. I, I live off my Google Calendar. Yeah. I live off my Google Calendar. If I can give your your your, your listeners one tip is that, you know, Dan Ariely, uh, neuroscientist, said something that really impacted me. He says, everybody has two golden hours to create, Right. And he says, find your two golden hours. And so my golden hours are from five to seven in the morning. And so I try to get up at like 4.30. Sometimes I get up at five, so I start at 5.30. But usually by somewhere five or seven or 5.30 to 7.30, all I do is write or create content. You know what I mean? Outline or study or just read an article. And so if you're listening to this podcast, find your two golden hours. And maybe it's only one golden hour, but that's all you'll need 
to, again, keep educated in the market, because I think what happens to me, Will, is that in those two hours, I start, it's almost like a cumulative action. You start reading more, and all of a sudden, new ideas start popping in your head, and then all of a sudden, you want to share. You want to get it out there. You want to write about it. You want to talk about it. And also, imagine what would happen if a B2B person just studied one hour a day about the market, their industry. Now, when they're talking to that CEO or that CXO, man, now they're coming from that space where they understand what's now happening in the market because they just read something. That right there, I think, would be a game changer for any B2B salesperson. I love it. And you just took the words out of my mouth and wrap up with this, Victor, of when you're creating content, you're not just regurgitating stuff that everyone knows in the marketplace. What's the point in doing that? You're learning to then jot it down, which cements it in your brain, allows you to form your ideas. And it's been, this has been shown a bunch of times of typing something out or physically writing it out of a pen is even better versus just dictating it through kind of like voice to text software. So writing it on a keyboard, on a writing it on a piece of paper is far more effective at cementing your ideas just because it slows you down a little bit. It's way more effective at uh, cementing these ideas in your head, coming up with new ideas in the back of it, connecting different links of different things. Well, that might be connected to this, which, well, if this is happening in the industry, perhaps I can help it this way. It all yeah, comes like, from. Remember that movie, A Beautiful Mind, where he's yeah. just pulling poisons? And what happens is you're reading all these different content, you start pulling it together, and you come up with your way of presenting it. Somebody once said, I don't know who, who gets credit for this statement, but it says, I'll take credit. Okay, you can have it. It says, imitate to learn and then innovate to earn. Now, you can think about that. So you imitate to learn. In other words, I, I want to imitate, learn from people, but then I have to innovate if I want to generate any real revenue with that and come up with my own twist. And everybody has the ability to do that. Amazing. Well, with that, we'll wrap up with a question I've asked you a bunch of times, but I'll, in the moment, put another spin on it. So, Victor, if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what would be one piece of advice of something you would tell him not to do, which you did do in the past, that would help him become better at selling. And I come back to the same thing every time, which is be nicer to yourself. Give yourself a little more break. You know, don't yell at yourself so much and just, you know, be a little more understanding. He says, you know what? You're human. Let it go. Let it go. How's that? Just let it go. <laughs> let, well, let, by, by the way, let things go faster. How's that? Mm. Let things go faster. When something happens, just let it go faster. Sometimes we hold on to something too long. You know, because we did, okay, we screw up, we do something wrong. Hey, you screwed up, move on, let it go faster. Well, with that, Victor, tell us where we can find out more about you. So free things here. So you get more plugs than most people come on the show. Free things. Where we can find out more about you, your YouTube channel, because there's a ton of amazing content on there. And also the Sales Mastery Academy, because I know you're having crazy success with that. And it's going to be really, really relevant for the audience as well. So you can find me at victorantonio.com. Uh, you can also find a link to the salesmasteryacademy.com, which is the online learning management platform with all my sales training content. Or if you simply want some free stuff to just discover who I am, if you go to YouTube, uh, my channel is Sales Influence. We have almost like a thousand, if not more videos on there. Great content, short podcast, to the point content to help you sell more effectively. Amazing. Well, I will link to all that in the show notes for this episode over at effectivevictor.com. That's what we'll do is the, the link for this one. And with that, mate, I want to thank you for your time, your expertise. I always enjoy our conversations. So I appreciate that as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, joining us on the Salesman Podcast. Will, you're awesome. Again, thank you. Thank you.